0: living in light of the last day. Throughout these two letters that Paul wrote to a young church he started uh, with his team of missionaries, he points to the day when Jesus will return, which will be our opportunity for glory, theirs and ours. And We don't know know the date on the calendar when Jesus will return. We only know that it will be some day, which should impact how we live this day and every day. Persevering through pain, through the struggle, through the opposition, striving to be faithful to the one who called us, seeking the honor and glory that only Jesus can give. Isn't that where you want to end up? In glory? Anybody? Yeah, is that where you want to end up? All right, that's, I, I, that's okay. It's okay to talk to me. Yeah, 2 Thessalonians 1. One. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as, it, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for, every, for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves... Uh, "'Boast about you in the churches of God "'for your steadfastness and faith "'in all your persecutions "'and in the afflictions that you are enduring. "'This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, "'that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God "'for which you are also suffering, "'since indeed God considers it just,' so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. And here's the theme today One day, God will turn our suffering for his kingdom into glory with the King. One day, God will turn our suffering for his kingdom into glory with the king. Now, if you look at the passage, if you got that in front of you, beyond the greeting in the first couple of verses, the text is something of a, of a sandwich. So uh, you got one slice, if you will, verses 3 and 4. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. The other slice down at 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray to God for you. And in the middle, verses 5 to 10, that re- the, the return of Christ in glory. And judgment. So let's let's start with those are three parts here, and we'll take them in the order of the passage. So here's part one: suffering for the kingdom. It's a phrase I got from verse five, but we're focusing on three and four here. Thank God for a faith that grows and persists in spite of persecution. Now we don't know how much time passed between the first letter to the Thessalonians to this one. Probably not too long because this one deals with a lot of the same topics, a lot of the same issues. Um, and it's from the same team of missionary, Paul, uh, Paul Silvanus, or Silas, uh, and Timothy. And we know from the book of Acts, Paul's team changed uh, at different times. And so, same team, same issues, probably not too long. And here's uh, the part, a uh, part of what they said uh, to the Thessalonians in the first letter. This is back in 1 Thessalonians 3 Eleven to thirteen. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Now we don't know whether or not uh, God answered the first prayer that they would uh, be able to visit. We don't. We don't know that. What well, we do know, He certainly answered. The second prayer, that their love would increase. Verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love for every one of you for one another is increasing. That's some, uh, let, let's just take a moment here to appreciate. This is some pretty impressive church growth. hope you understand. We, we, don't, know, we don't know if the church was growing in size, in numerically, but they were growing spiritually. One of the many things that this past year has done, with uh, you know, with all the COVID closings and and kind of reopening slowly, is uh, one of the things that's done is give pastors a new sense of humility, because uh, just admittedly, and you, you know this, uh, it's it's easy for pastors to be tempted by attaching, tying our ego to the number of people in the pew, and and so well, there we go. Here's some here's some humility for you. Uh, don't get me wrong, we we want more people to be in this church. Well, let's fill up the seats, folks. There's, there's a, it is good for people to be here. It's good for you to be here on a week in, week out, on a regular basis. Your regular faithful uh, attendance is part of your regular spiritual diet and health and fitness. It's, it's, it's essential to that. It's not just, you can't, you can stream a sermon. You can't stream fellowship. You can't stream community. You can't stream service. So this is, this is part of it. But sometimes we have to remember the remarkable, the supernatural growth can happen even when a church has some empty seats and and a budget shortfall. And even more surprising, when there's opposition and actual suffering, church growth can happen. Good church growth, in some sense, the most important growth can happen in those kinds of situations. Verse 4, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Nothing warms the heart of a missionary or a pastor like knowing that the church, in Paul's case, the church that he helped to start, in a, in a pastor's case, a church that, has that, uh, that a shepherd, uh, the flock that I'm responsible for, that I have to answer to God for. Nothing warms the heart of a missionary or pastor knowing that the, the church is standing firm in the faith that is, is not just standing firm, but also growing, moving forward. And like a, a proud parent, Paul boasts, not about himself, not about his ministry. Look what I did. I, I made this great, I started this great church under my preaching. They, all this growth is happening. No, he's, he's moved on. He's, he's somewhere else. He's boasting about them to the other churches. What, what a joy, what, a, what an example that these Thessalonians are of, of faith, growing faith, of increasing love, of perseverance, of steadfastness in spite of persecution. I'm sure Paul told those other churches about the Thessalonians to encourage those other churches. I'm sure he's included this in this letter to encourage the Thessalonians. And I, I don't know about you, but it's an encouragement to me too because I, I continue to hear about churches uh, around, uh, around the world, but particularly around our nation right now with all the cultural tensions and conflicts and, and some of the issues that we talked about in Sunday school this morning, some of these issues tearing churches apart. Sometimes opposition from outside the church, persecution, affliction, can create more tension within the church. And we've, we've felt some of that in the past year. But these Thessalonians... Show us that it is possible for faith to grow and love to increase. What he says, love, the love of every one of you for one another, increasing. That's possible, even in times of affliction. How is it possible? Well, short answer, God. How is that possible? God. A little bit longer answer, true faith grows when it is tested. True faith grows when it is tested. In my outline, I, I said it as, you know, the faith that grows and persists in spite of persecution. But sometimes, and that's a really important qualifier, sometimes the church grows because of persecution. Now, nobody's going out looking for persecution. Uh, not me, not you. We're not going out looking for persecution. We want, we want the freedom uh, that to, to, to live out our faith in peace. That's what, it's what we want. But it's often. But we know this, don't we? In so many other areas of life, it's, it's often in the storms that we really learn how to pray. It's often uh, the fact that we don't know how precious Christ is, how Christ is all you need until he's all you have, right? True faith grows when it is tested and so sometimes it's not just the it's like wow remarkable faith and love growing in spite of persecution sometimes because of does the pressure we feel eh, to, to whatever degree that you feel that, that Christians are under pressure maybe that maybe that you personally are under pressure in your neighborhood in your workplace under pressure maybe maybe it's not official like you know nobody's being arrested nobody's being fired but you feel you feel Pressure to just sort of step away, just, just distance yourself a little bit from Jesus, distance yourself from, from God's word, from the truths that we say we believe, that we hold on to. And if you feel that, do the, do the press, does the pressure we feel bring us closer to God and closer to one another in the life of the church? It did for the Thessalonians. Don't we, do, do we want that for us? Do we want that to be true for us, wouldn't we want to follow that example? We would. Wouldn't we want uh, pastors, missionaries boasting about what God is doing here in us, not so we can feel good about ourselves, but because God is really among us? Now, I'm not. I'm not going to pray for persecution, but I, I would pray this, God, Lord. If we have to go through persecution, would you use it to grow us, grow us in faith? grow us in love? If we're tempted to turn against one another in the conflict, would you help us that our love would increase, that our bonds would be strengthened and not weakened? May any hostility or hatred that comes against us from the outside be, be overshadowed, be eclipsed by the love we have within this family. If he answers that prayer, we'll thank God for a faith that grows and persists in spite of persecution. That's part one. Part two. On that day, look for the Lord to bring justice to the persecutors and the persecuted. So verses five and ten are the middle of our sandwich here. Five and ten are about the return of Christ. But Paul does not write in order to satisfy the curious uh, as if there's a, you know, particular Bible study group that's just trying to figure out the uh, eschatology. No, he's, he's, he's writing to, I mean, that's fine to, to study eschatology, but don't get me wrong, but I'm saying he's not writing to satisfy the curious. He is, this is a lifeline of hope for those who are suffering for Christ. Let's let's appreciate that. I, I wonder how we would hear this text differently, not just trying to, maybe, maybe some of us are inclined, I mean, I, I admit it, that's part of my instinct to, okay, how does this fit into my, to what I think I know about the end times? Okay, how would we hear this differently if we were believers in Nigeria today? Well, I have no idea. Well, let me, let me tell you what I mean. On July 5th, three, three weeks ago tomorrow, militant Islamists attacked Bethel Baptist High School in the northern state of Kaduna in Nigeria, and they kidnapped over 100 students. Most of them still missing as of this past Thursday when I read the account on uh, Voice of the Martyrs. You're familiar with that as a ministry regarding the persecuted church. So imagine that. Imagine the fear. Imagine the anger and the trauma. As your precious children may well be violated or even killed. Don't you want justice? Of course you do. You want you, you want the innocent victims to be set free and brought home. You want the violent oppressor, oppressors to get what they deserve. That's justice. Of course, you want that. Now you might you might call the police. It might be appropriate for the officials to mobilize the military. But what if? And I don't. And now I'm kind of getting this away from the specific situation of Nigeria. Just this hypothetical. What if the police the government, the military, what if they are ineffective? What if, in fact, the authorities are against you? The Christian, when there is no other resort, no one else to appeal, plead, call, the Christian always has the hope of final justice. Verse 5, This is evidence, and he's talking about now their their steadfast faith in spite of persecution, this that steadfastness of faith, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance. just stop there. Justice will be done. When the Lord Jesus comes, he brings the judgment of God. Jesus brings final justice. This is never an excuse to ignore injustice around us. It is, it's, it should, we should be doing justice as Micah 6 verse 8 calls us to do. He has told you what the Lord requires of you to, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's, it's not an excuse to ignore injustice We are called to do justice. What this is, what this is here, is a dead serious warning to the wicked and a life-sustaining promise to the righteous. Count on it. This day is coming, the day of reckoning. Horrifying for some, happy for others. Do you see that? There's, There's two dimensions, two sides to this one coin. One coin meaning the event of Jesus' return. Two very different dimensions to this reality. Verse 6, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. In other words, he is bringing justice to the persecuted by bringing the persecutors to justice. So that's that's how it goes together. And, And this is this is what God does all throughout the Bible. So what is he going to do at the end? But what he shows us, he does time and time again. Think of the book of Exodus. When he brought his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, he led them through the Red Sea on dry land while the, their oppressors, their persecutors, drowned at the bottom of the sea. Justice done. Relief to the afflicted and, the, and those who afflict them repaid. Payback time. God's holy vengeance, his just judgment. It's what God did in the book of Judges, again and again, destroying his people's enemies and delivering his people. It's what God did in the book of Esther when Haman threatened to wipe out the Jews, genocide. But the Lord turned the tables on him, and he was wiped out. Yes, God sometimes does this in history, and there may be times where we, we could hope that, God, how about turning the tables? I'm sure the, our brothers and sisters in Nigeria feel that right now. God, turn the tables. Repay the wicked. Bring relief to the righteous. Repay the persecutors, the afflictors, and bring relief to the afflicted. And sometimes he does it in history. He's shown that he'll do it again and again. But the promise is that if we don't see it in our moment, we will see it in the end. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, if that doesn't sound like your picture of Jesus, you just don't have the full picture. You don't still have the full picture that the Bible gives us. He is, as the, as the Bible reaches its conclusion in the book of Revelation, he is the lamb who was slain, and he is the lion of Judah who roars and reigns. He's both. You've got you to put that together. Now, in some ways, you can kind of, you can kind of uh, parse that out into his first coming and his second coming. First coming, he came as the lamb. Second com- coming, he's coming as the lamb who was slain, but oh, now he's coming to, to reign as the lion. Or Hebrews 9 puts it this way, nine twenty seven and 28, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. One more important clarification I need to make in this section. While the final judgment will turn the afflictors into the afflicted, that doesn't mean you're off the hook if you're not a persecutor. So pick up where I left off in verse 8. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So because Paul was talking in this, in this specific context, he's talking to the persecuted, his emphasis was on God's, God's judgment of the persecutors. But on that day when Jesus comes, on that day of reckoning, It will be a day of reckoning for all who have ignored God, all who have rejected the gospel. And the result is what he says here, suffering the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Verse 8 might sound strange when it says, those who did not obey the gospel. We don't use that language, but it's biblical language. Uh, The word translated obey is something like heed. It has to do with hearing but not like, you know, you know as, a parent has to, as a parent, we have to distinguish between hearing. It, I, I know you heard me, but you're not listening. And I know you're not listening, but you didn't listen to me when I said this because you haven't done anything about what I told you to do. That, that's, the, that's the word we're dealing with here. So it's not just, yeah, the sound waves hit me. No, it's you're heeding the gospel to hear and respond appropriately and you have to understand the gospel is not a, you know, take it or leave it proposition. This is really hard for for modern Americans to grasp this concept. We're used to picking and choosing from a whole range of options. We're used to, I mean, having choice and the freedom to choose is, I mean, that's just part of uh, the, the beauty of our society, right? The, but the reality of God and the truth of his word and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior, the conditions under which we are accepted by God rather than being condemned... For our sins, it's not something you can shop around for like a cell phone plan. Do I want to go with Verizon or U.S. Cellular? Would I rather have iPhone or Android? You know, Christianity or Buddhism? You know, uh, Hinduism, Islam, or none of the above, which is becoming a more popular option these days. You can't shop around and pick and choose. The message of Jesus is the only truly good news. Believe and be saved. But it is just as truly a warning. Believe or be damned. It's good news. It's good news. Believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. It's a warning. Believe or be damned. Paul says it to the Thessalonians You believed our message. You believed in Jesus when we told you about him. You believed the good news of Jesus Christ, that he alone is the perfect sacrifice for sins, that his death will pay for your sins as you put your trust in him. And and we shouldn't go any further this morning in this sermon, in this text, without making sure you understand this reality, the significance of this, yeah, choice. A choice that's not a choice. A decision that doesn't have any other alternatives. I mean you can choose that alternative and not be saved. If you haven't heard and responded to the gospel as you should. If you have not believed, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, this is the time to do it. And it's not even it's not even that you have to wait till the end of the sermon the, the service this morning to, you know, pray the prayer or come talk to me or or even as they did in years gone by, come and, and kneel at the, at the front of the church. You, you don't have to wait till then. You can say, I'm taking hold of Jesus now. You can do that this moment. This is the time to do it. The day is coming when he returns, and then it will be too late. Yeah, that's, you, you see that here, right? There's one of two things that's going to happen. You're either going to be repaid or given relief. This passage is consistent with the rest of the Bible. The end of the story for those apart from Christ is horrifying. The end of the story for those who are in Christ is glorious. So I want to make sure that you get that part too. we got to see that. We've got to see the ending for those who are in Christ is glorious. That's what Paul expects for the Thessalonians. That's what we should want for ourselves and for anyone we know, anyone we love. To to be with us in glory, not excluded, but brought in. Not outside the the banquet, but welcomed into the feast. That's That's what we want. So verse 9 and 10 once more, and I'll just carry on through the passage. They will suffer the Punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So this is for you. Uh, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part three. Glory with the king. Ask God to make us those who give glory to and share glory with Jesus. So these believers in Thessalonica who were suffering for the kingdom, remember that phrase from verse five? They're suffering for the kingdom. They need to be reminded just how good it will be to make it to the end Jesus will return to defeat evil once and for all but there's another goal that God has for that moment not just giving you and me relief any any believer who might feel oppressed or even just pressure not just relief for us no glory for Jesus that Jesus would be glorified Finally recognized for who he is. So, in that sense, it's really just another dimension of justice. Do you, does it, do you understand that? In the end, God is going to set things right. That's justice. Not only for the those who the oppressors and the oppressed, the persecutors and the persecuted. He's going to set things right for Jesus. Jesus is going to get his due. Do, do you see that? It's a, it's a different dimension to this justice. Jesus will finally be given the honor he rightly deserves, and it will come from us, his people. We'll be there to celebrate his victory. Paul says it in another letter uh, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, "...for now, though, we walk by faith, not by sight." We don't see Jesus yet. We don't see Jesus in his glory. We don't see Jesus in his majesty, in his power and authority. But we're trusting him. We're holding on to him. Then, that, then the hymn turns that phrase around. We walk by faith, not by sight. And says, and Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight. And the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, it is well with my soul. Someday, we're going to see him. It won't just be faith, it will be sight. Someday we'll see him. Faith turns to sight and that sight will be a wonder and those who have believed in him will glorify him, praise him, worship him. I I hope that makes faith something bigger than just, you know, mouthing the a sinner's prayer or agreeing with a certain set of doctrines or even identifying as a conservative, born-again, evangelical. It's faith like this, what Paul is talking about. We've been holding on to you, Jesus, and holding out hope for you, Jesus. They mocked us. They said we were fools. They pushed us around. They took our possessions. They threw us in jail, but you came through for us. We looked like idiots and fools. We were considered, as Paul said, like the scum of the earth, but you, Jesus, man, you came through. You proved to be Lord and Savior. That's the finish line when he comes. That's the finish line. That's when there's relief. That's when there's glory. And Paul has given them a vision for that day when Christ returns and he's, as he's given them a vision for that day, He's got to give them a vision for the one that they're living in in the present. And so th- this, is, this works for us too because we're still looking forward to that day but we still got to make it today. We still got to get by tomorrow and the day after that. How? Let's, let's go back to where we started. How, how did those Olympic athletes do it? How did, they get, how did they get back in the pool every day? You might like to swim. You might like to swim a lot. But you know, when they're spending hours and hours, how do they get back in the pool every day? How do they go back to that track? How do they lace up their shoes again and run again? How do they do it day after day, pushing their bodies to the limit again and again? Because they have a vision for glory on the last day. They have a vision for glory on the last day. Do you have that vision But we might say, well, but look at the passage. Won't the glory all be for Jesus? Jesus comes back, and we're all like, yay, Jesus! And you know that, that's nice for him. But but yeah, that's true. He's going to be the center in that moment. But do you, do you see that? It's it's a shared glory. It's a, it's always a it's always ever since creation, there's been a reflected glory. We were made to share and reflect His glory. From creation to new creation. That's the whole story. It's about getting the image restored again to where we can reflect his glory as he ought and as, as he ought to be glorified as we ought to glorify him. And when we reflect his glory, when there's something of his glory on us, we share his glory. Just verse 12: That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Yeah. There's glory for you if you make it to the end. Th- those athletes share their glory with their country. They, USA is on their uniform. They belong to Team USA. When they win, it's the flag and it's the anthem of the United States or whatever their country is that is played. When Jesus returns, it will be a shared glory. Not... Not because uh, we, we won it for the kingdom, but because the king has won it for us, and we have his name on our back. He, we have his name on our heads. In fact, the king has won it for us, and in another sense, we are the trophy. We're his prize that he fought for that he competed for that he entered the contest for to be the champion to win the prize of a people for his name to bring him glory the kingdom and the king are the prize that we get we win too when he wins we win when we are in him and even in our participation in the great contest that this is in human history is due to his grace Paul returns to where he started and then takes it further. So, you know, verse 3, he said, I'm always thanking God for your growing faith, your increasing love. I'm, I'm, verse 4, I'm boasting to the other churches about your steadfastness and faith. And, and, and that verse 5, that in the end, you will be found worthy of the kingdom for which you are now suffering. The kingdom for which you are now suffering. And then verse 11, to this end. Because I want so much for you to be there in that moment. I want you to share in that glory having the joy of victory in Christ, adding one more voice to the thunderous chorus of praise. We always pray for you because I want that for you. We always pray for you, for you to have what it takes to make it to the finish. It's going to it's going to have to come from God. It's going to have to be His power, His grace. Did you hear that important? verse? Again, just we'll read it again, verse 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can understand these two verses, if you can put this all together, you may not be able to plumb the depths, uh, uh, to, to, to uh, appreciate all the intricacies of the interface between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But if you're going to appreciate what's going on here, you can get it. You can appreciate the wonder and press on to glory because we should, you and I as believers, should operate each and every day with a resolve for good, an intention and a drive, a commitment to do good. It's going to be on the t-shirt, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and doing good deeds in his name. A resolve for good. I, you know, like I said, we said before, like I said last week, okay, this is something we've got to live up to. you going to put that on your back? Better be what we're about. Every resolve. We need, we need people with resolve for good, but that's what we need to be. We need to, we need to have a, a desire to do works of faith, that may sound strange if you're used to what Paul talks about elsewhere, faith versus works, as far as our justification, our salvation. It's not about doing good works to be saved, but it's about faith. But we understand that you can't do one or the other. That's what James adds to the picture. If you say, if you say well, I don't, I don't have uh, works, but I have faith. Well, faith without works is dead. And Paul's agreeing with that right here. And it's not just works as if you could earn your salvation. This, there should be an abounding in work, the, the work of faith. Faith-driven, gospel-driven obedience to God. Practical expressions of our belief in Him. And every external act of faith and every internal resolve for good is Ours. It, it, it's, it's ours. It's ours. It has to come from us. It has, it has to be what we do. But ultimately, you, you see here just as clearly, ultimately, it has to come from God. It has to be His power at work in us. It has to be His grace at work in our lives so that what meaning uh, this, even that good stuff is a gift from God. It's something we didn't deserve, we couldn't produce. It's something out of God's kindness and generosity and goodness. He infuses into us. And so that coming from us, we might bless a world in need and might bring the good news, good deeds, good news, to people around us before that last day. Don't you want to be found worthy of glory? Yeah. Don't be afraid to put in the work to tie up those shoes again and get back out on the track. Don't be afraid to put in the work, to suffer the pain today, trusting in his power, knowing it is his grace for his glory and ours. On the other side of shame is honor. On the other side of suffering is glory. On the other side of struggle is victory. His victory and ours. Ask God to make us those who give glory to and share glory with Jesus. Are we looking forward to that day? Yeah. God help us today. We're looking forward to that day, but Lord, we need your help today. We need your power. Your grace. Because frankly, it, sometimes we don't even have the resolve for good. We don't we're not doing much work of faith. God, would you be at work in us to stir us again? Would you use your word by your spirit, the passage we looked at today, to refocus and renew until the day there comes relief and rejoicing. God, help us In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand.